The following program contains disturbing content that may be in settings and situations similar to your own. Discretion is advised. America's heartland, flyover country, shaking dice at the cafe for morning coffee, crop prices and rainfall, a day's work for a day's pay, business conducted on a handshake, where a man is as good as his word, church socials, town team baseball. But as the sun sets on this piece of Americana, there is no immunity from the darkness. There are things dare not spoken, and thoughts recessed in the corner of a man's mind, masked by the roar of a summer thunderstorm, hidden in the silence of winter snow, yet peering from the darkness in the shadows of the Midwest. Whatever you're thinking about, stop for a moment. You've just received a phone call. They're telling you that no one can locate your child or, or maybe your spouse or a brother or sister, a parent. Don't panic. There's a logical explanation. Where have they not looked? Whose house wasn't checked? The day grows later and the police and community members are out looking and just in case they issued a press release. Are they lost and maybe hurt during some sort of misadventure? Night arrives. Are they hungry, cold? Are they with a stranger? They must know we're out looking for them. A night turns into a week, then a month. The new cycle moves on when fortunate there may be a mention of your loved one. The search parties are reduced to a single investigator who is working with their own caseload. And now it's a year later. The story is now a single paragraph on an 8x10 flyer, which will soon be filed into an internet clearinghouse. You've had to push forward. Life goes forward without your approval. But still, every night, your stomach turns as your head runs through scenarios and regrets. You're listening to Shadows of the Midwest, Secrets of County Ditch Number 5, Episode 7, Someone's Daughter. During a night out, longtime Blue Earth resident Deb Anderson's life would change. The story of a Jane Doe buried in the Riverside Cemetery over 20 years prior, it's a story that Deb had never heard. Why not? It's a story that would occupy the next 14 years of her life. And for the first time, you will hear Deb's whole story in her words. I'm Deb Anderson. I live in Blue Earth, Minnesota, and I've lived there for 30-plus years. And I became interested in a Jane Doe case, like 2001 or 2002, roughly. Kind of accidentally, I was, we had a friend of ours that was a police officer, and we were sitting in a bar one night, and he came in making his rounds, and I was teasing him, and I asked him, you know, what's going on? You got any cold cases? What's this? Because it's a small town, and it's kind of a joke. And I always said that to him. And 
he stepped that he goes, all right, you want to hear one? There's an unidentified woman buried out in the cemetery. She was found in the ditch on May 30th, 1980, and they never did identify her. And I said, you got to be kidding me. He's like, no. And he drew on a bar napkin a little map of the cemetery and where she was. And that's how it started. Well, I was just curious because I couldn't believe I'd never heard about it. Because, like, it's a small town. Everybody kind of stuff like that gets shared and so I thought well I'm going to look it up online there must be something about it about this unidentified woman you know because obviously somebody's looking for their child I was very naive about the numbers pertaining to missing and unidentified people I was very naive about the the way that society views that and a lot of the time families that aren't connected and stuff and people just don't have anybody to look for them. But anyway, so I looked online and I couldn't find anything and I thought, well, that's not good. If you can't find anything, what if her parents or siblings or somebody's still looking for her? They're not going to find anything. They're not going to find her. And so I called the Faribault County Sheriff's Department and I said, hey, you have a, a, a Jane Doe or an unidentified female case from 1980. And I was just wondering if, if I could get any more information on it or where it was on the internet or something, you know, whatever. And the first time I called, I'm, I don't remember who answered, but whoever answered said, no, we don't. And I said, yes, you do. I'm pretty sure. Okay. And they're like, you called the wrong agent, whatever. So I immediately drove out to the cemetery where this little, this, our friend of ours had drawn this map. And sure enough, there's the stone. And it says right where she's found. And it's in Fairville County. It's not. It's the stone is perfectly clear. There's no question about it. So I call them back, and they're like, yeah, we don't have one. And I said, yes, you do. I've seen it. And this went on for a couple of weeks at least. That they just and they kept telling me I called the wrong agency and that, that you know, they didn't have a case and whatever. Well, they, the ones that were answering the phone and stuff were not employed there when it happened. So eventually they... Somebody, and I, I think it was his last name was Bolster, maybe, or something, called me back. And uh, in fact, his name was Bolster, Dick Bolster, I think was his name. Called me back, and I said, um, I asked him some questions. And I, by then I had started kind of like looking up the statute in Minnesota, the statute in Minnesota to see what, is there any like requirements for the, the agency to report their unidentified, you know, on, to a higher authority or put it on a website or, you know, just what, what happened? Do we really just bury and put a stone on there and forget? And so I had found out that there was such a thing as a missing person clearinghouse, missing person and unidentified body clearinghouse for the state of Minnesota website and a man was managed by the DCA, Bureau of Criminal Apprehension. So I called the sheriff's department and I said, well, you need to get that on there. Like, 
there's a form and everything to fill out. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I waited a while. I would check to see if it was out there and nothing. So then I, if this went back and forth, I don't remember too clear, but then I contacted the Bureau of Traffic Criminal Apprehension and said, why isn't she listed and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, well, the, the Fairwell County Sheriff's Department has to submit that information to us, but we don't have it offhand, which neither here nor there. But anyway, so I called the Sheriff's Department again. I said, you got to get her list, whatever. Well, and they wouldn't do it. They just wouldn't do anything. So I got the form myself, and, and I don't know, it was like two pages or something with all the details that I had learned up to that point. And I filled it out. And I, I, could, I couldn't send it in as a citizen, private citizen, because it had to have, like, law enforcement okay that it was, a, you know, they don't want people just making stuff up. So I did that, and then I took it up to the sheriff's department to get it signed. It seems to me like I took it up there to get them to sign it, and then I was going to mail it. But it, and they said, no, no, we'll take care of it. Well, then another month went by and still nothing. So I did it again. And this, that time I got their signature or whatever it was they needed. And I mailed it myself to the BCA. And they finally got her put on their website. That during the, And during that time, I was researching and looking up possible matches and finding out everything I could about unidentified people and children and so you actually had to be the one to mail it into the BCA and submit it, essentially? Yes. yes. And now I want to make sure that I'm very clear about the the, the, the people, I'm going to say men, because it just happened to be men. The men that worked that case in 1980, they did everything they could. You know, uh, the web, website did Internet didn't exist back then. By the time any of that stuff had come into play, all those guys had retired or died. So I'm not faulting the original case, the detectives and investigators and sheriffs, you know, folks that were on the original job. I I do think that there was some negligence over the years in keeping up with what their responsibilities were, but it wasn't those same people. Farrell County considered it a closed case because he went to prison. The criminal was apprehended. And and at an unidentified or Jane Doe or John Doe, they don't have anybody to, to stand up for them. You know, in eighty seven or whenever it was eighty eight when he when they finally got his confession and whatnot. Nobody was there going, well, now help me find my daughter, you know, because she didn't have a name. So there was nobody on her side. Yeah, there was no there was no incentive or, or, or pressure to actually um, pursue it. And unfortunately, my dealings with the BCA is that's kind of how they work as well. When my some of these missing persons things I've worked with, you know, I I called them for some information, you know, and and legally it was it could be it should be disseminated because it, it met all the criteria. 
They refused right. to. But I asked the agent in charge, I'm going, so are you actively working this case? Well, he said, the case is basically sitting on a shelf and they're waiting for something to come to them. And that's, uh, and, you know, he said, well, we've had things pop up, you know, after 20 years. And it's like, nobody's working it. It's sitting on a shelf in dormancy. And the other thing that I I would like to make clear or, or bring to the forefront, I guess, that people don't realize, too. Now, things are a lot better today, even from since when I started this cause. But they don't really like this was Blue Earth, Minnesota. What, I don't even know what our population is. 3,000. They don't have a board somewhere where it was 10 cases that they have to work. They had one in 30 years. You know, so, like, I don't, I understand the pressing matters of crime and child abuse and neglect and all that. Definitely take precedence that happens, like, right now or at that. But, Again, it should have stayed on their radar because they're not overspent in a particular category. There was only one. How hard would it be to just spend the paperwork? You know what I mean? Like, okay, so if we're in downtown New York City or whatever, I'm sure that they're just overrun with unidentified people that they find alive and dead and whatnot. And, and I mean, that you still have an expectation that they're working at the best they can. But in their defense, they probably are extremely overloaded with little to no funding and whatnot. But fewer, that's not the scenario. Or I should say Fairbolt County. And one of them, and I won't name names, but he no longer works there. He's retired. My some of the things that, that you had uh, done or that uh, what are some of those steps you, you uh, tried doing over that time?
police officer who sidelined as a um, reconstructive, you know, uh, skull reconstruction drawing, not not the fancy. They they weren't doing some of the stuff they're doing now in nineteen or two thousand one or whatever. But um, so he took the skull X-rays and with whatever training or knowledge he had, he he drew a a, a best guess facial reconstruction. And although I don't, I don't. Sometimes they get them right. Sometimes they don't. It's neither here nor there. But it does bring it to a more human level where people take interest. So even if it didn't, I didn't really care. I mean, I cared. I wanted it to look like it as much as it could. But we knew it was all she could get. But it gives the topic, the whole subject, her entity, a visual for people, and that creates interest, you know, more so than not having one. So I put that on the website, and I made hundreds and hundreds of flyers in both English and Spanish, and every time we would take a vacation, my mom and my daughter and I used to drive on, like, week-long vacations, so my daughter was little. And we would go down to Nashville or, or out to, you know, uh, the Black Hills or whatever. When we would do that, I would tape these posters on wherever we stopped. I'd tape them up on like a rest area door or a business window that would let me put it up there and have uh, just any anything I could came across, I'd ha I kept them in my purse, and I would just pack one up. Um, and then for a while, I made these t-shirts, and I gave them away free on my on her website. People are always Googling for free stuff, you know, you'd be surprised. Of course, people did, and, and so I would send them a t-shirt. They weren't the greatest thing in the world, but they were, have you seen me? And it has the drawing and, and contact information. And then I would go through all the missing person pages and databases and lists and like try to find ones that were possible, possible matches. And I would post them on her webpage under possible matches. I don't know how many there's out there, but I've removed quite a few since the beginning they got found. I met some very interesting people, families, sometimes, one time a family that we were just sure that it, it was a possible match, they drove, they were from um, several hours away, I can't believe, like a day, a full day's drive away, and they drove here because we couldn't get our law enforcement or their law enforcement interested in doing anything about it possibility that it was a match and they went out to the cemetery and stuff and we had lunch and, and I met I, I so many and that was the first time I guess that it really hit me these people came and their daughter Paulette Susan Jasper she's since been identified found and identified um, she these people came all this way and 
And we sat at a table in a in a restaurant, you know, like a country kitchen or whatever, and had a meal. And and they were just like my mom was there, my daughter was there. They were just like us. Like it wasn't it wasn't like some fringes of society or whatever. You know, this can happen to absolutely anyone. Their child suffered from mental illness. And she ran away because of it and fell into bad situations and, you know, all kinds of things. But it was not because of anything other than mental illness, you know. At the time when I started, I didn't have a child. I wasn't even pregnant. And uh, and I just still thought that somebody's child, that this has to be, you know, this is not okay. We have to put this information out there in case someone's looking. And I had wanted to do DNA right away, but they wouldn't. That's a whole other story that could take three hours. But anyway, um, and I and then shortly after I started, I found out I was pregnant, and I had a daughter, and she grew up with this in her life just because. I mean, I didn't share this horrible, horrible atrocities that, that became Michelle, but I, but she knew, and, and I, I decided that it was important that she know that people are not disposable, even if they make bad choices here or there or whatever, they're, they're still someone's child, their sister, mother, and, you know, whatever, and if we care about our families and friends and you know and we bother to bury any of them and have these ceremonies and funerals and you know then then we do it for all of them there's no difference we're all human how did this uh how did your family your husband and your daughter handle this over those 14 years oh my my daughter was because she knew it from the moment she had understanding of anything it was kind of around her at home as my hobby or whatever. And I would get phone calls, and of course she'd hear them, you know, or I would get emails or letters in the mail or whatever. People would come and visit, like that family, you know, she was there, met them. So she was very aware of it, but she was kind of just like, eh, whatever, because it was funny. Her friends, one of her friends came over to spend the night one night. They were like, I don't know, 10 or 11 or something. And her friend walked in and she goes, Oh, is there anything? Is there anything on the on the case on the on the unidentified woman? Have you gotten any? You know, asking me questions. And my Maddie rolled her eyes and just walked upstairs. And she was like, "Oh, wasn't it wasn't a big deal to her?" I mean, it was a thing, but it just was day to day. My husband put up with a lot because it was not a popular thing in our town that I did. It was. Um, it brought a lot of attention, negative attention to us that was not fun, to say the least. And it, and I was over the top with it in, in a lot of situations. I just couldn't let it go for reasons I'll never understand. And I remember one time we went out, we were going out to supper with some friends. We were in the car driving to meet them at a restaurant. And my husband's pretty quiet. He never does much. That's just his nature, you know. But
but he says, you know, could you do me a favor? And I said, what's that? And he goes, so for tonight, just tonight, could you not talk about Jane Doe during supper? Could we just have a meal without that tonight? And then I knew, I was like, wow, I must really not. <laughs> um, but, you know, every, every day there'd be things to share that I wanted somebody to, because they were so usually things to share that because they were so like, you can't, you've got to be kidding me. That's not how that goes, or that's not what happens. Yes, it is. If you don't want to believe it, here's the proof. You know, and I couldn't let it go. I don't know why, but I it, I came, you know, there wasn't a day that didn't go by where I didn't go like, oh, I should write a letter to so-and-so, or I should look up this and find that. wonder if they did this, or do they have fingerprints? And I get them all. That was the other thing I did was I got a copy of her fingerprints, and I found a friendly law enforcement officer in a whole other county several hours from here that, that he would submit it to get it run through APHIS, which is the national database for fingerprints, because it has never, it either, if APHIS, I can't remember the details now, if APHIS um, actually existed in 1980 or not, or some version of it probably did, but they, I don't, there was no proof that they had run it, or I couldn't find any, so I wanted it run again. And people are, they're always adding fingerprints from old cases or this or that. So, and he was kind enough to get from this other county to run it through APHIS, but there was no match. He was just a really great guy. He had, he uh, identified a another Jane Doe in about, it was like two or three counties over from where we live, like two, uh, two or three hours away. And uh, he had a funeral for her. When he identified her. His, he and his team identified her. It was another small town found in a ditch, same exact storyline. Um, and so my mom and my daughter and I drove over to the funeral they held for her, which is how I met him and which is what started the conversation. And one thing led to another. I, I fought tooth and nail. I wrote letters to politicians and governor and P, any, you know, National Missing Exploit, anybody that I could think of that might help. And one of the old, and they, no, nobody could help her. They just said, you need to take it up with your sheriff's department, you know, whatever. And then I said, so then I was like, I want to file a complaint against the sheriff's department. And it turns out that at least in the state of Minnesota, sheriffs, county sheriffs do not report to anyone except for the voting public. So if you want an investigation done, um, unless things have changed in the last five years, you there is an, an, a third-party agency that you submit your complaint to, and then they literally send it back to that department, that sheriff's department, and the sheriff's department investigates their own behavior. And I'm not making it up. And anybody... Nobody believes me when I say that. I have a letter from the state, is it Attorney General? I, I don't remember. Anyway, a, a legitimate government official who states it point blank in the letter he sent 
sent to me as a response for when I asked for help. And uh, and the, the statute, you can look it up. It flat out says it, it, so. The only thing you can do is to try to vote the sheriff out of office. One of the deputies that ha was that had been present when her body was found. His name was Jerry Cade. He's now passed away, but he was still alive when I started this. He firmly believed that she was this missing girl from New York called, or her name was Jacqueline Lerman. And he had reasons he firmly believed it. And I, I know now, or I not know now, but I look back on it now and I, you know, it was his way of, of dealing with it. Like they couldn't solve it. So in his mind, he, I mean, there were legitimate reasons to think it was her, but things had been done that he had kind of forgotten that proved it wasn't her, arguably, but he still felt like it was her. And I said, okay, let's start there then. Let me find any information I could about her. Well, I couldn't find anything. Not, no missing person report, nothing. So I knew her last name was Lerman. So I just printed out all the Lerman's phone numbers in the area where she was supposed to be from. And there was thousands. I don't know how many there were. And I just started calling them on my way to work and on my way home and on Sundays. I just went down the list. And I would say, hi, my name's Debbie Anderson. I'm in Lewis, Minnesota. You know, I'm just doing some genealogy and some research. And I'm, I'm just trying to track down a family member or somebody that, you know, related to a a Jacqueline Lerman and blah, 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 you know, and I, I, could, I could talk for the next 10 hours of the stories some people told me and some people just hung up on me and some people told me to get screwed and some people talked to me for an hour. And uh, finally one Sunday afternoon I was doing it and I called this, and this one number and the woman said, no, I don't have any, nobody like that. No, 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 whatever. I'm like, okay, thank you very much, hung up. And then about 45 minutes later my phone rang. And I answered it, and here it was this woman again. And she goes, is this, this the woman that called me about you? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, you don't mean Jackie? And she had some other last name. And I said, um, I, don't, I don't know that last name, but here's the other things that I do know. She was approximately this old or, what you know, all the things that were in the file for Jacqueline Lerman. And then the woman said, well, she was my stepsister and uh and i don't i i'm not searching or trying to resolve whatever but my brother is so i will i'll give him your information and have him call you and i was like okay and about an hour later her brother called me and her brother's name is philip lerman and he says hi i'm philip lerman and blah 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 and i said oh great uh she lets compare notes, whatever, you know. And he said, well, before we start, I want to tell you something. And I said, what's that? And he goes, I am the executive producer of America's Most Wanted. And I said, yeah, you are. And I, I was kind of disgusted. I thought, you know what? This isn't a joke. I don't need people messing with me. I got enough problems, <laughs> you know. I just really thought somebody was having a fun day at, to my, at my expense. And he proceeded to give me some information, and he said, you can validate it all, that it's true, and blah, 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 and whatever. 
And sure enough, I did. And lo and behold, he really was who he said he was. And, and uh, he uh, unofficially, you know, he had obviously contacts because of the job he was in. And he got the Faribault County Sheriff's Office to finally submit some DNA to the FBI DNA laboratory DCA and all that. Um, long story short, after the fact, we find out that he didn't submit Jane Doe's DNA. We don't know if they clipped their own pubic hairs or what, but it was a man's DNA that they, they submitted. It was all fake because they had lost the samples and didn't want anybody to know. Whatever. That fiasco drug on and on, but it, it, it made, I think it made Feral County realize that I wasn't going away and that there were other people in the world that were starting to give a crap, you know? And uh, so then every once in a while, back to that listing her on the Bureau of Criminal Apprehensions website, every once in a while, I would, once she got listed, I would go out and check make sure it was still listed for I don't know why because I'm crazy and I'm obsessive compulsive or whatever and one time I went out there and it was gone they had revamped the site and she wasn't on there again so I called them up and I'm like what the hell because I you know by this point this has gone on for 12 years 13 years and I'm just sick of everybody's and, oh, 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 we're going to get there, we're going to get there, we're, you know, we were just redoing the site, we haven't got up yet, yeah, yeah, whatever, get it up, get it fixed, fine. Well, nothing happened for a couple of weeks or two. I think I waited a week, and then I called it back, and this woman answered the phone. And I still remember her name, but we'll just see this. Um, she says, is this, I didn't even, I don't even know, I didn't say my name, I just said, hey, there used to be this Jane Doe on your, because I, Sometimes I didn't want them to know it was me right out of the chute because they would write me off. But if they just thought it was a random question, you know, they'd be more helpful. And she uh, she says, is this Deb Anderson? And I said, in my head, I said, shit, yeah, why? <laughs> yeah, it is. And she said, oh, I have your name. I have your name written on the outside of her file. And I said, oh. Okay, well, here's the deal. Uh, it was on the website. It fell off. What, what's the problem? How can we prevent this from continuing to happen? You know? And she promised that she put it back on the whatever. I don't remember all the details. But then she said, you know, I, I just want you to know, we, we really want to assume, you know, there are cases that we want. We're trying to actively pursue whatever. We just don't have the money. And I said, you don't need any money. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, I have a letter from the guy who buried her, who still runs the excavating business. Signed from him, he is my friend. He said he will dig her up for free. I've been telling law enforcement that for the last seven years. You know. And she went, you're kidding. And I'm like, no. And that's all it took. Within a month, the sheriff's department contacted me and said, would you like to meet us? Because we're going to you know, go over the plan to the 
information. I'm like, she's being exhumed. You've got to be fucking kidding me. I, I mean, like, I, I couldn't even, I thought, I just couldn't even make sense of it because there were so, it had been so long and so fought by so many people. But this Chris that I had spoken to took me at my word and talked to the sheriff's department and said she wanted it done. And they said, okay, because apparently she outranked him. And it was done. And within minutes of them doing the DNA test, she was identified. Michelle Yvette Boucher. Correct, from Bay City, Texas. The sister I never had, I guess. It's traumatic. I mean, it, you feel like succeeded and but you don't feel good you know you when they when you do find the family but I mean it's still a loss it brings all those ugly memories you know and and they learn the things that they didn't know and it takes away hope and it's just really uh, something I didn't even realize until it happened I I just never thought about the it's a double-edged sword that's all Gary Sunken he's a local drainage excavator business and he just does the cemetery stuff and he still does to this day. But he buried her. He said he would dig her up for free. He buried her and he would dig her up because he wanted he he always felt like it should have been pursued. And and in the end we finally got permission and he did dig her up for free. He got to meet her father and her sister. They stood in my living room and I've never been I guess choked up thinking about it every time. Because they were kind of similar men, similar ages. And uh, they hugged in my living room and cried. And let me tell you, these two guys were not the type you would picture <laughs> hugging and crying and, you know, having a moment. But uh, but they, they did. It was, it was beautiful. You've been listening to Shadows of the Midwest, research produced and hosted by Joe Kistner, a production of Just Past Nowhere Productions, LLC, 2024. Music provided by Matt Hutchinson in The Hutchinson Effect. Remember to like and subscribe and leave a kind review wherever you're listening to your podcasts. And feel free to reach out through our Facebook page or you can write shadowsofthemidwest at gmail.com. 